We are in Mark chapter 6, verse 45 to verse uh, 52. And the outline in front of you should say the priority of prayer. The question we are asking is, what is prayer? When should we pray? How should I pray? Is prayer important to God at all? Is God bothered whether I pray or not? Uh, and those are just a few questions uh, we all have about prayer, just, well, a few of the many questions we have about prayer. And as I thought about those questions, I, thought, I think they can be summarized, actually, with one simple question. Does prayer matter? Is it a priority? I am guessing many of us are here this morning, uh, the answer would give is yes, I hope. <laughs> I mean, you have to are here to pray. Uh, so I hope your answer is yes. And yet, as you think about that, that yes, it raises another question, doesn't it? Is prayer a priority to you? Are you growing in spending time with God privately? The, the sad reality is that many who claim to believe in Jesus hardly pray. Someone says nothing is discussed more and practiced less than prayer. Another person says one of the greatest sins in the church is not gossip or fornication or addictions. It is a sin of prayerlessness. The sin of leaving God alone. This is a huge problem, isn't it? Because our condition before God is always measured by our prayers. Spurgeon says, God has no dumb children. God has no mute children. God's children are always speaking. Francis Chan says, prayer is the mark of a lover. Those who deeply love Jesus can't help but pray often. To love Jesus is to pray to him, Francis Chan says. People of God are always people of prayer, private prayer. And of course, corporate prayer, but our focus today is on private prayer. If you're not growing in spending time with God, then you most likely do not know God. If you are not being drawn to spend time with him, then you do not really perhaps know him. Because people of God throughout the scriptures are always people of prayer. So my goal this morning is very simple. I, I will try briefly to encourage you to make prayer, private prayer, a priority in your life. We are focusing on private prayer because the text in front of us this morning is about private prayer prayer. But the other reason we need to just narrow ourselves to private prayer is very simple. I'm convinced it is possible to be a public prayer warrior, okay, come to a church prayer meeting, and pray very little. It's possible to be like that. Jesus indicts the Pharisees because their public religion does not have a strong private foundation, doesn't it? We'll see that later. So it is possible to be a public prayer warrior, and no prayer at all. But 
If you are not a public prayer warrior, you definitely do not pray in private. I know this pastoral. Those who lack the passion to pray publicly sits underneath weak foundations of private prayer. And so the right pastoral direction throughout the scriptures is to encourage people to have a strong foundation of private prayer. It's not just prayer. The same applies to Bible study. Of course you come to Bible study on Thursdays to study the Friday morning. If you can't get enough of the scriptures in your private time, you will. It's how I loved going to the Bible studies when I was at Thamesmith. It's because I would wake up 4 o'clock in the morning. I would study the scriptures. I would feel the, 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 the word of God burning within my bones. I wanted to discuss it with other believers. I wanted to share it with others. And I said, I must go on Thursday. And once the pastor is teaching the word of God on Thursday, I immediately had to interject and say, yeah, I also read this. I also read that. Do you see that? The emphasis is that if we have a strong private prayer life, strong Bible-reading prayer life, we will, of course, have a strong public prayer life. So today I'm not calling you to come to prayer. I'm calling you to meet your God in your private moments. Because I know if you meet your God privately, the church will inevitably benefit. I want to encourage you to prioritize prayer in your private moments in life with God by showing you that our Lord Jesus prioritizes prayer. And as true followers of Jesus, we are meant to grow in becoming like him, isn't it? And that means growing in following in his praying footsteps. So please turn with me to Mark chapter 6, verse 45 to verse 47, which our brother Nick read for us. There are two important lessons that we learn about the place of prayer in the life of Jesus. I just briefly want to tell you about them. I'll be brief so that my voice can hold through this. The first is that Jesus prioritized prayer, prioritizes prayer in his life. Jesus prioritizes prayer in his life. So, it is around evening time in Galilee. Uh, Jesus has fed the 5,000. We said last Sunday evening, it's actually more than that. The 5,000 just men uh, is most likely fed 15 to 20,000. And he's fed them with these five loaves and uh, two fishes. And everyone is full. The job is done, right? Uh, and the disciples are now getting ready to leave. It's in, in near evening time. But Jesus is not going anywhere. He's not going with them. He will join them later, we'll see this evening. Jesus is staying behind because he has other business to attend to. Let's read verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. Now if you were here last week, this should immediately raise a question, shouldn't it? Because you know that Jesus is already in Bethsaida, based on Luke 9, verse 10. But Mark here is now saying Jesus is going to Bethsaida. And so if we are reading our Bibles, probably we must ask, which is which? Is he in Bethsaida, or is he going to Bethsaida? Is it Mark who's right, or is it Luke who's correct? And of course the answer is that it is both. 
Jesus is somewhere near the town of Bethsaida Julius. This town is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, east of the Jordan. The disciples are now heading to a Galilean village of the same name. It's quite common often for towns to have two names. They are going now to the hometown of Peter and Andrew, sometimes called for us in John, Bethsaida in Galilee. And as the disciples sell off, Jesus is dismissing the crowd and he himself is heading off now to spend a long time with God. Look at verse 46 to verse 47. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. Now many of us treat God as we treat lawyers. We only go to him when we're in trouble. Why else would you need a lawyer? Why do you need trouble? Right? That's how we treat God. But we see that Jesus goes to God as a matter of first priority, as a matter of top priority. We see here the high priority that Jesus has by the three things he sacrifices, the high priority Jesus has for prayer by the three things Jesus sacrifices to be alone right now with God. First we see here that Jesus is sacrificing company. Did you notice that in verse 45? Immediately he made his disciples, human company I mean, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Now earlier, Jesus, this is a surprise, because earlier, if you are here last week Sunday morning, Jesus was trying to do what? Get away with the crowd, wasn't it? Get away from the crowd to be alone with his disciples. Why was he doing that? Because he had previously sent out his disciples to go out in Galilee, and they have now returned. He has missed them. They have missed him, and he really needs time alone with them. So, but that was interrupted by the crowd now following him. They cut, they, before he even got where he wanted to be alone with the disciples, in this desolate place, the, the, the crowd cut him short. And so Jesus had to, we looked at it last week, Jesus had to teach them, shepherd them, and eventually he fed them. So really Jesus should now be spending time with his disciples, because they miss him, he misses them, now he should be there a long time. But Jesus is not going with them. Jesus has missed being with God more than he has missed being with his disciples. He misses divine company more than he misses human company. Jesus knows there is time to be with our loved ones and even pray with them. But what all true people of God prize most is being alone with God. What about you this morning? Do you recognize this priority of divine company in your life? Do you regularly sacrifice human company to spend a long time with God? Are you as focused on being with God as Jesus is here? Beloved, do you have withdrawal symptoms when you're not with God? Do you ever get like this, like, I really miss spending time with Jesus. I have missed him. I've been so busy. I've got to spend time with him. And as soon as you feel like that, you drop everything just to spend time with God. Do you ever get like that? I know husbands get like that hope with their wives. Mothers get like that with their children. 
right? I've been working. I need time alone with my kids. I've missed them. Do you get that, that with God? Just dropping everything. Just to be alone. That diary cancelled. I've so missed him. You see, followers of Jesus sacrifice human company to be in God's presence. They prioritize prayer as Jesus does because they are followers of Jesus. Second year, we see that Jesus is not only sacrificing human company, Jesus is sacrificing ministry to be alone with God. Let's go back to verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat. What did he do? And go before him to the other side to Bethlehem while Jesus does what? He dismissed the crowd. Disciples dismissed. Work now dismissed. There's no more preaching now. Jesus must be alone with God. Jesus knows that no amount of activity, ministry, work, study, gifts in our lives can make up for the failure to pray to God. No amount can make up no amount of our talent, no amount of our skills can make up time, can make up for the failure to spend time alone with God. This is not only true in our service to the body of Christ, it is true in whatever role God has placed you in. It is true in the home. It is true at work. It is true as a citizen in this country. Beloved, no amount of parenting skills or wisdom will make up for your failures to spend time alone with God for your kids. No amount of loving of your wife will make up for the failure to spend time on your knees interceding for her. No amount of time spent trying to equip yourself with excellent skills as a manager, as a teacher, as a care staff, as a nurse, as a truck driver, as you work perhaps at a hotel. None of that investment in those skills will make up for lack of praying for your role there. You will be successful as the world judges success. You may look outwardly successful as a teacher. You may look outwardly successful as a lawyer or accountant, as a driver. But if you're going to serve as God would have you serve there, if you're going to serve to your God-given potential, you must be a man a woman of prayer. Your very work must be saturated by prayer. You must draw your strength, all your strength for your work from outside this world because you are a creature from outside this world. This is not our home. And therefore, we living in this alien land. We must draw power from outside it from God himself who has placed us here. 
And sometimes, drawing wisdom and strength from God for the things we are doing in our workplaces of work or in our homes as a mom or whatever thing we, God has put us in, will mean stopping that activity for a while. Briefly. 20 minutes. One hour. It means perhaps for some of you saying, look, I won't look at my emails at home for one hour when I come back from work. Instead, I'll use that hour in the evening to be on my knees before God. To pray for my work. Okay, half an hour. Right, I know one hour you're thinking, my world will collapse. Half an hour. For others, it's different, isn't it? It might mean setting aside 20 minutes at lunchtime, as, so you, as I used to often do when I was in the Ministry of Justice. In the, missing, in the middle, the busier my day got, the more I ensured that I had 20 minutes perhaps to take a walk in the park with God, to talk to Him about the next meeting, and just my danger, just a long time with Him. Look, there's no prescriptions here. This is going to look different for each one of us. But I'm hoping that you are getting the idea. You're a student. You're studying. You're in the middle of the day at school. It's going to look very different for me, for you. Maybe it's five minutes while you're on the bus to school. And another five minutes when you're getting back. Just a long time with God. And it's going to add up, as it were, during the day. It's going to look different. But the principle is the same. Pausing our never-ending activities to be alone with God is vital to doing the work God has called us to do. Now I know as I speak here, pausing our activities this way requires faith, isn't it? It's hard. It requires faith. We are creatures of activity, right? It requires faith and confidence that if I drop everything to be half an hour, one hour with God, God will hold the bottle. Right? It's not, it's not going to fall out. You've got to trust God. You've got to have supernatural faith. And you have supernatural faith if you are in Jesus. Because we learned in our Bible study on 2 Peter chapter 1 that the faith we've received is what? It's one we've obtained. It's a gift. It's a divine faith we learned. Of equal standing, Peter tells us in this one, of chapter 1, with Peter himself and the apostles. We didn't earn it. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you already have divine faith. It takes divine faith to pause, and the good news is you have it. But I know this is where the rubber meets the road. Because prayer is putting your work your role God has given you in his hands and keeping it there. That's the definition of prayer. Prayer is taking your work and putting it in God's hand and keeping it there. Do you trust Jesus with your role as a teacher, as a tutor, as a man, as a whatever God has given you? If you are a true follower of Jesus, there's only one answer. Yes, I do. You know no one loves you more than Jesus does. So make prayer your priority. Be willing to sacrifice endless activities for prayer alone. I'm not calling you to... This isn't about Saturday morning. This is, this is the stuff only you know. Right? This is the stuff you know. The third thing we see Jesus is sacrificing is that Jesus is sacrificing comfort to be alone with God. Notice verse 46. It says this, And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. 
Jesus could have chosen to go to some house after this and enjoy uh, some sleep. I think there will be, be a lot of homes open for Jesus. He just fed them. I mean, would you deny to, <laughs> to then sleep over? Of course not. He just fed you like that. You, you want him to come into your house. Perhaps you'll provide food for tomorrow as well. Right? So there will be a lot of people willing to have Jesus in. And humanly speaking, he's been teaching the whole day. He's fed so many people. We would not begrudge our Lord a warm shower and a nice bed to lie. We wouldn't. He deserves all of that. But look where our Lord is going. Verse 46 tells us, he went up on the mountain to pray. He is going to a mountain to be alone, right? And he is sacrificing comfort to be with his heavenly father. And by the way, he's sacrificing his safety. You know, when we read these scriptures, you've got to put yourself in the scriptures. When I read this, the word mountain, I was immediately worried. Humanly speaking. Because the first thought I had was, when did I last hear the word mountain? And I remember there was there legion lacking in the mountains. Jesus is going to a mountain where perhaps bandits, robbers, demoniacs may be staying. In the middle of the night. Right? But our Lord is so self-forgetful, isn't he? He may be physically tired. But he's willing. Listen, of course Jesus is God, right? And so you may not think it's a big deal. But remember how Jesus is living. We'll talk about it a bit more later. And Jesus is living as a man. So there's an element of risk involved him being out in the middle of the night, humanly speaking. But our Lord is so self-forgetful. He's physically tired, but he's willing to walk up that lonely mountain to spend time alone with God. Because you see, Jesus knows an important thing. Prayer that costs us nothing is worth nothing. Prayer that does not involve sacrifice is worth nothing. King David says, I would not give God anything that costs me nothing. David wanted everything he gave God to be costly to him. And even our prayer must be costly to us. What about you? What comfort have you sacrificed lately? Just listen. You think over the last week, last month, what, what, when, what, what comfort did you really say, you know what, it's going to cost me. I don't want to spend time alone with God. Because I need him, I miss him. When did you do that last? I recently renewed my TV license, right? The confirmation email from TV licensing said this. Thanks again for renewing your license. Your license helps keep your old favorites on air and bring new favorites to life. In the UK, we spend almost 24 hours a week watching television. Now, I'm not sure when I read that. I was reading this email and I was thinking, I'm not sure that is the statistics I wanted to read just after renewing my TV license. It made me feel very guilty that not only was that, that was encouraging such TV watching. Uh, they obviously thought it's great that I, that, that I renewed my license for these reasons. Uh, and uh, I felt rather guilty just reading that, thinking, well, I hope that's not me, 24 hours a week on TV. But as I thought about it, I thought, well, it's a helpful reminder for the sermon, isn't it, that I'm preaching on prayer. Because it's a helpful reminder that time is not our problem when it comes to prayer. It's not about, it's not. We all have plenty of time. 
There are many campus we can cut down. In fact, uh, if you have a iPhone now, recently I sat down with my wife, we're doing our gadgets, as we tend to do, and she has a iPad and my iPhone. And interesting that in the iPhone now, you can actually work out how much time you have been spending on different things on the iPhone. And we were holding each other accountable in this area. It breaks down for you. He says, oh, you know, two hours here on YouTube. Mm. Today, that's a lot. During the week, you know, 12 hours or something. So, so the point is that technology has moved so far forward that all of us actually can know how much time we're using in many areas because the devices we carry actually helps us to know where we are, how much time we're spending on. And the truth of the matter is that if I reviewed my gadget and my TV watching, I realized I have plenty of time in a week to pray. And I'm sure that's the same is true for you. There are many comforts you can cut off. Just one hour a day to spend time alone with God. Or you may decide three hours a week or something like that. Television is just one. Now, gadgets are just one. Some of you spend a lot of time reading books. I do that. I, I read seven books in the last, in, in the last uh, six weeks. That's a lot of time. Some of us spend a lot of time in social media, video games, sports, hobbies, gardening activity. Well, the gardening, obviously, we need it in the church and, <laughs> and keep us around is good. But we do spend a lot of time on these things, don't we? So time is not our issue. And of course, we can't be prescriptive about these things. We can't be prescriptive about what you cut off. I'm not saying don't watch the football match when Chelsea are playing or another team. That's not what I'm talking about. You have to, well, you might, some, some people might encourage you not to. This is, this is down to you. You have to think about these things. You must ask yourself, am I growing in denying my comfort to spend a long time with God? And because this is private to you, only you know how this works out practically. Because the point here is that Jesus, as we see, prioritized prayer in his life by sacrificing company, sacrificing ministry, and sacrificing comfort to be with God. And if we are true followers of Jesus, we must grow in following in our master's praying footsteps. We must prioritize what he prioritizes. We must prioritize prayer. That's the first point. Jesus prioritized prayer um, in his life, and so should we. The second and quick final point I just want to make is that Jesus prioritizes prayer. Why does he do it? Well, this is the encouragement. He does it for our benefit. The first words, uh, Mark, that's our second point. The first words Mark tells us is that Jesus is God the Son. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says, It's the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, or God the Son. And if you verse later in chapter 1, we read, we see the Trinity appear, isn't it? Jesus being baptized. God the Father, God the Son. The voice speaks from heaven, God the Father. The Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, God the Spirit. And Jesus, of course, himself is there. And throughout Mark, we've been asking a very important question. As Jesus does miracles, we're asking, why is Jesus doing these miracles? And we've been learning that all the miracles are pointing us to the fact that Jesus is the God of Israel. He's God the Son. And so as Jesus goes up the mountain to pray, this is God the Son going to spend time with God the Father in the presence of God the Spirit. 
So we are asking ourselves, why is God praying to God? Are these prayers real? Or is it just, you know, pretending? Well, the answer is his prayers are real. Because we need to remember that Jesus is not only 100% God, he's also 100% human. These two natures of Jesus make the one person Jesus. It's vital. You need both natures to be that that makes up Jesus. Jesus is not half God or half man. He's 100% God, 100% man. And here is the key. Even though Jesus is 100% God, he has chosen to live his life on earth as 100% man. <laughs> he has decided to live his life on earth without relying on his divine privileges. He's living, as we keep saying in Mark, as a man, even though he remains 100% God. And he's doing this because for Jesus to die in your place, he must first live as a perfect human being. He must live a life you can't live. He must live it for you. And then he must take that perfect life with his perfect record, he must take it to the cross, and by his death on the cross, he must exchange his perfect life for your sinful life. The two records must be swapped over. God must look on him as a sinner, and now so that he can look on you as perfect before him. God must dress Jesus, so to speak, in sin, so that you can be dressed in righteousness. And of course, all of that happens that Jesus himself, not inherently becoming a sinner, but being treated by God in our place as a sinner. God made him to be sin who had no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But here is the thing, in order for Jesus to do all of that, right, he has to live perfectly. <laughs> perfectly. And he's going to do it without relying on his divine privileges. So what else is he going to rely on? Well, he's going to rely on God the Spirit to empower him. He's going to rely on the Word of God. He's going to use that. We see him use it already, deploy it in the desert when he faces Satan. And he's going to prioritize prayer. And prioritizing prayer is vitally important in resisting temptation. As we see in this passage, and just look at verse 45. Verse 45 says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. In fact, the Gospel of John gives us more detail what's going on with the crowd. If you turn to John 6, verse 14 to 15, uh, it says this. You turn there. When the people saw the sign that he had done, the feeding, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And verse 15 says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Notice here that the crowd are so excited with the miracle Jesus has done to feed them. We want somebody who feeds us. And immediately they have their candidate on the ballot box. We want Jesus now to be our president, as it were. This is who we want, who will feed us forever. And you defeat the Romans for us. 
This is a temptation Jesus is now facing. To, it's a temptation that Satan had, had tried it before. He had dangled it before Jesus in the wilderness. He's dangled it again. You can short-circuit the path to be king now. You can declare yourself king now. All of this will be yours. He's using the crowd now to get there. Satan is saying, take matters into your hands. Declare yourself king. Live for today's glory. Don't follow your father's plan. Do your own thing. How does Jesus withdraw, resist? John tells us he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And Matt tells us, not just by himself, he's withdrawing to pray, to be strengthened, to enjoy fellowship with God. Jesus is like Joseph. Jesus is running away like Joseph did from Potiphar's wife. And he's running to his father's embrace, leaving the cloak of worldliness behind. He just wants to be with God in prayer, to embrace his father. That's how he resists temptation. Jesus remains sinless by seeking refuge in God. What a wonderful picture of the mountain, isn't it? A place of refuge. And that's where Jesus goes. He's doing that, prioritizing prayer. And through his sinless life, he is able to offer himself later, three, two, year, two or three years from now, on Golgotha as a sacrifice for sin. If Jesus does not prioritize prayer, he cannot live a sinless life. And if you cannot stay sinless, you are lost and doomed forever. Prayer is that important to Jesus and to you. And thank God Jesus prioritized prayer. Thank God his prayers were heard before God and God answered them. Thank God our God maintained the sinless perfection of our Redeemer. And if we trust in Jesus, we too have been made sinless before God. Our sins have been wiped away. We now stand forgiven at the cross. Because Jesus prayed, you see. And because Jesus died a sinless death for us. And if you're in Jesus, you can now say with the hymn writer, the hymn we'll sing this evening. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him, on him, our sinless Savior, and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness, the great and changeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. You see, this is why we must prioritize prayer. It is not simply because Jesus is our example. I mean, that's amazing to see we are following in his footsteps. No. We prioritize prayer fundamentally because as followers of Jesus, our prayers are now acceptable to God through the precious blood of the Lamb. And if you're trusting in Jesus, you have the amazing privilege to approach God directly now. No one, nothing can block your prayers before Jesus. Jesus is saying to you this morning, talk to me. The way is open for you. You don't need to jump through hoops. No, the way is open. You don't need to fix yourself up to come to me. Come to me as you are. I have already fixed you on the cross with my precious blood. Come to me now. You know, you know when, when, when the matter, Stephen was being murdered, right? When he's being killed, we are told that the heavens opened and Jesus was standing there, not seated. 
He's standing. Why is, it, why is Jesus standing? Ready to receive Stephen. Ready to welcome him. When people come to our house, what do we do? We stand up, don't we? We open the door. Ready to welcome them. Jesus is standing right now in heaven for you. Ready to welcome your prayers. As your great high priest. Even now, his name is graven on his hands. Well, your name is graven on his hands. Just checking your photo. Even now, your name is graven on his hands. Even now, it is written on his heart. So call out to him, and he will answer you. This morning we have seen Jesus prioritize prayer in his life, and he prioritizes for our benefit. Us, his true followers. The question is, are you a true follower of Jesus this morning? Well, may the Lord help you see if you are the fruit of becoming more like him in prioritizing prayer. Amen.